now sitting in section 312. The Raptors are NBA champs, basketball is over, and it is now time to deal with the hot and brutal summer and the lack of sports. We have game one of the Crosstown Classic between the Cubs and the White Sox. Anthony Davis has finally been moved to LA. Plus, we get Matt's rendition of the Blues victory since he was in attendance watching at Bush Stadium during the Stanley Cup Finals. And an all-new starting five, fictional dad. It, well, I think we decided it was fictional father figures. So, starting five, fictional father figures. And this week, it's sitting in section 312. We had the CEO and founder of LifeWatch, Eli Wallace, and his CSO, Mike White. But before we sit down, today's episode of the show is painted by Swazo Painting. Swazo Painting has been painting the Chicagoland area for the past 20 to 25 years. They do interior, exterior, staining decks, removing wallpapers. You want to change the color of the foyer or you want to redo your stairs going up to the second floor, give Raul Swazo a call, 630-272-2096, or email him at swazopainting at iCloud.com for free estimates. All right, 100%. So we got to start off today's show with Matt. Matt, you were at Game 7, the Stanley Cup of the Blues. This was two weeks ago now, but we haven't talked to you since they won the Cup. How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling ecstatic. And uh, like you said, I was at Bush Stadium. And let me tell you, it was a different feeling. It was not like a baseball game at all. I go in there, and it's like half the stadium. <laughs> half the, it's only half the stadium because you got the outfield uh, scoreboard. Uh, because uh, um, that's what you're watching the game on. And it was as loud as Game 7 World Series game. Like, it was, it was, it was, it was happening. It was, it was really loud. Now, was it a different setting because of the lack of alcohol in your bloodstream? Um, the concession stands were open, but I was not partaking in those activities. I can imagine the combined BAC inside of Bush Stadium to begin with, even without Matt, was probably tipping the scales of at least 0.15. And, like, that's a generous estimate. I mean, I just had myself a little pib, but, uh, <laughs> but it was, it was, it was lit, I, to say the least. You're not a Dr. Pepper guy? Come on, man. You got to go Dr. Pepper. You they can't... don't have Dr. Pepper at Bush Stadium, but if well, they you... did, I would be on top of that. Jesus Christ, that's an even another knock against St. Louis and the Cardinals. Okay. Well, they right. have been, Enterprise Center had Dr. Pepper. <laughs> hey, Matt, were you part of the people that were trying to push over the arch? Did you get in on those festivities? Uh, no, I was trying to make it here on time before you guys recorded. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right. We did not get a Matt reaction last week. That is why we are going back and doing a little bit of Stanley Cup recap with you right now. So you're a champion. Uh, yes, I'm going to give it to you as well. What what's the the week been like though? Have you had has the high worn off at all, or have you just still been kind of riding the wave of this kind of miraculous run that honestly shouldn't have even happened to begin with? Now we've been Boston, but we're we're fairly admitting St. Louis won. They did great. Like props, fucking Bennington stood on his head in this last game. But how does it feel to be a champion? Um, I mean, I felt like a champion before. Uh, being a Cardinals fan, but it's different whenever it's a winter sport. 
like, f- f- and it's happening for the first time for the hockey team, it, it, it it's more special than other other championship wins. Did you get to see Boris the Chinchilla at all? Um, what? You dude, super fan Boris. Okay, so um, we're gonna give props because this is all barstool. But um, Boris the Chinchilla was like the super fan of the Blues throughout like the playoff run, specifically during the Stanley Cup. He was in the Stanley Cup. They have videos of him inside of the Stanley Cup. He, he was scurrying around. They had a chinchilla. He he was brought into one of the I think game two. I guess that must have like slipped my social media because I didn't see any of that. I might have to buy you a shirt. I might have to buy you the Boris the Chinchilla shirt. Then you got to wear it. If anybody's buying me uh, something to put on my body, it's going to be a Bennington jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, Quentin, we we got to get to a bet that we gotta we gotta cash in. Yeah. We lost. We lost, Matt. So we, we owe you some season opener blues tickets. That's damn right. <laughs> you sure we're, do. We're not buying you a sweet. I was so don't sitting here like, hey, what's he doing? Was yeah. he was he doing offering these tickets? Yeah, you don't get to sit on Bennington's lap or anything like that. Well, we did uh, say I, would, I wouldn't want to as he has a job to do. <laughs> we did say it last or I, I think I said it last week on at least last week's episode that, you know, I texted Quentin before Game Seven. And I was like, "I'm fucking nervous. I, I think I think we're gonna see a legendary game from Bennington." And he goes, eh, "I don't know. Eh, it'll be fine." And I was Dude, like, "No, it I'm, certainly I'm, I'm, was legendary." Yes, that whole first <laughs> period. Like, we're not gonna get too deep into it because we already talked a little bit about. It, but that yeah, whole yeah. first was was insane. The whole first period, Bennington stopped everything. It seemed like the Bruins were in the offensive third the entire time. It was ridiculous. So. You went. You went to the parade, correct? You went to go watch the parade. I did not watch the parade because I was in. I was at my parents' house for Father's Day weekend, so I watched it on TV. Though, what's wrong? And, uh, with, what's wrong with that city putting a parade, a championship parade, on Father's Day weekend? The Raptors did it right, which we'll get to later. I mean, it's it's. I guess it's bad luck because uh, I mean, not not bad luck, but I mean, uh, like. 49 years ago, uh, the Bruins had a parade on Mother's Day. So, I mean, if you're going to have a parade for a sports championship, might as well be Father's Day. That's a good point. You can get your dad, you go out, you get some beers, you get day drunk with him. It's a good way to spend the day. Or if you're Brett Hull, just do it by yourself, you know? <laughs> yeah. Brett Hull was fucking blasted. So, the Blues won the cup. You got to be feeling great. I'm not feeling great. Tonight was game one of the Crosstown Classic between the Cubs and the Sox, and Eloy made a statement. He made a fucking statement. Schwarberg had very first pitch home run. I was like, oh, shit, here we go. And then the ninth inning rolls around. Ivan Nova pitched great. The Cubs couldn't hit him. Cole Hamels pitched great. Eloy fucking Jimenez. We took, we, I think we time traveled back to 2013 a little bit with Ivan Nova versus Cole Hamels in a, in a primetime matchup. I mean, yeah, Ivan Nova did great. I don't know why they pulled him because Aaron Bummer comes out and immediately gets put into a rough situation. He works out of it. But yeah, Eloy, talk about dropping dick on your past team. Comes out, hits a two run bomb in the ninth, a no doubter. 
absolutely electric. All the Cub fans are just sitting there shocked. The White Sox fans are going nuts. There's nothing like the Crosstown Classic when you're getting that mix of fans in the stadium and you can watch the replay and see half the crowd jump up and the other half just sit there with their head in their hands. It's awesome. And I was on the winning end, so I'm biased in saying that. You know, I want to point out the error that Javi Baez made on the throw by the single from Tim Anderson. That's got to be sitting in Javi's head a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, totally. I mean, it's he made a great play too, but you know, you can't you can't make that bad throw at some point with Tim Anderson. He's a good runner too, man. You can't just you. That's something you glove, you pocket, you get up, you get first and third. I think it was one out, first and third, one out, and you know, you, you live to fight another day. And and Javi tried to make a great play, but he wasn't going to get him anyways. Like Anderson got credited with the single; he was already ahead of it. So, I mean, yeah, that that was a big play, but I mean, Eloy's home run is obviously the the spark of the night. You know, because I'm out on the East Coast, I don't get to watch a lot of uh, Chicago baseball games. Well, actually, no, fuck that. I get to watch the Cubs because ESPN has a fucking obsession with the Cubs. It puts them on Sunday night or Monday night baseball every week. But I don't get to watch the Sox. Yalmer Sanchez's, like, safety glasses that he wears, I don't, I don't like him. I don't like him. Yeah, I don't like him either at all. Although Yalmer Sanchez, he needs to switch to the Rex backs. Just go full blown, like go goggles, like don't go go straight goggles. So game one was tonight of the Crosstown Classic, but other breaking news everybody was talking about is Max Scherzer broke his nose trying to bunt in practice. I had a gut reaction to this, which was I cannot wait for all of the talk on sports radio tomorrow to be about is it time that we make this universal DH because Max Scherzer is so good and we can't see this happening and it's all because he was trying to hit when he should only be pitching and all these AL stands are going to come out and I am going to relish it. They are going to be out in full force. You know it. I know it. Everybody out there knows it. Some of y'all probably thought it that are listening to this right now. Yeah, I mean, I like the batter I like the pitchers batting in the NL. I really do. Oh, I don't. I don't at all. But I strictly think it's gonna be funny tomorrow when everyone's talking. Why why don't you like it? I just think it, it takes away from the fun of the game. I mean there's no point in having a pitcher bat. Like at this point pitchers are so specialized that there's no reason to have a pitcher batting anymore. Right, but you know, they know how to bat. You know, they grew up batting. You baseball started with the pitchers batting. Like you can't yes, take yes. away from the game. Yes, but that was back in 1900 when pitchers batting was actually important. At this point, these some of these pitchers haven't hit consistently since they got to college. So that we're talking eight plus years. Like we're talking eight years of these dudes been strictly arms and learning how to bunt slightly. I mean, obviously Max Scherzer wasn't paying much attention to that, but my point being is that. It takes away from the theatrics of the game, from the entertainment value of an entertaining game, to have a pitcher that is essentially 90% of the time an out, and maybe 5% of the time is going to, well, I guess 90% of the time is an out, we'll say. I mean, it's only fun when you get a Bartolo Colon home run. That's the only thing that you want to hold out for, if you like are cheering for a pitcher to still bat. I, I do want to say it, it is pretty fun whenever you see uh, when you're watching Sports Center and then somebody hits a home run 
who's usually on the hill. But it's it's about the strategy of the game too, man. Like I love baseball for the strategy part of it. Yeah, you're guaranteed now almost. But how are you? What are you going to do with that out? You know, are you going to push the runners up? Like it's it's about the strategy and keeping as much of the game the same as possible because a lot of the game hasn't changed over these hundred years. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a baseball is trying to move in a new direction. So I think that's kind of, and we're already seeing more home runs, home runs, draw attention, home runs, draw fans. People want to see people hit the long ball. People want to see other pitchers throwing one Oh four, like a Raldis Chapman. And frankly, the best way to do that is to keep pitchers pitching and hitters hitting. I do understand what you're saying, though, in that essentially by taking the DH or putting a permanent DH in, you're always getting this. I guess what I'm trying to say is you're you pretty much eliminate the need for having a manager to some degree outside of pitching changes because there is no strategy. You don't have to do double switches. You don't have to worry about where's the pitcher in the order. But at the same point, I don't want to see if Clayton Kershaw is on the bump. And it's a 3-2 game in the sixth inning, but he's coming up second in the seventh, have to get pulled when he's pitching a gem strictly because of strategy. I want to see Clayton Kershaw throw eight innings. I want to see him get 12 strikeouts. I want to see him mow people down, drop dick on hitters. I want to see that happen. And I guess that's kind of where I have issues with the strategy part of it is you're losing pitchers strictly because their bat is a liability and getting rid of that liability and allowing pitchers to do what they're trained and paid to do makes for a better product. I was about to say, if you want to see Kershaw throw a gem or whatever, not worry about his bat, you just better hope he gets traded to an American League team. All right, <laughs> I, They're doing their own thing over there. Let them do that. I mean, yeah, that, that's fair. I, I guess, you know, you, you run into issues, though, in the World Series where, you know, you have splits, DHs, pitching. I, I don't know. It, it's... I think we're moving towards a permanent DH, regardless of whether or not people like it. I mean, I've been saying for years, I think Kyle Schwarber's a designated hitter. So, and, but think about that too, right? Like, even as a Cubs fan, like just to your advantage, like think if you could have Schwarber's bat without his shitty glove in the lineup every night. Like, you know, I mean, that works out well for you. And there's a lot of teams that honestly would be clamoring, salivating at the mouth to have the opportunity in the NL to get a DH and not have to worry about this shitty pitcher spot that comes up. Anyways, I think everyone out there that that will be a debate for as long as there, I guess, frankly, till the end of time, or at least until the MLB pushes us one way or the other and says they're sticking to it. I want to get to an MLB poll that came out. Okay. And I'm going to pull up because St. Louis was also on there. So I want Matt's opinion on this, but <laughs> this is from, SeatGeek did a widespread survey across all 30 baseball teams. Um, PMT intern Jake Marsh on Twitter, who I have to credit because this is who it came through, dropped the tweet. An MLB poll came out where they rated a bunch of different things uh, that MLB stadiums had best and worst. Of interest to this podcast, and uh, to my own delightment, because I completely agree with it, guaranteed rate, the South Side, the Chicago White Sox, have the best food in MLB baseball. On the contrary, Wrigley Field was voted with the worst bathrooms. 
Do you both agree? And I want to pull up the St. Louis one because I'm pretty sure St. Louis was pulled up on there as well, and I'm going to find that right now. The bathrooms at Wrigley have gotten better, but the trough is still there. <laughs> as long as <laughs> as long as the troughs are there, there, there's there's no going back. They're going to be at the fucking pit as long as troughs are still in the Wrigley Field bathrooms. I heard about the I heard about these restrooms at the Wrigley Field, and when I went there the one time, uh, I refused to go to the bathroom the three hours I was there because I don't want to I don't want to share a trough with anybody. It there's also only like seven of them, so it takes like twenty minutes slash like two innings to get to a bathroom if you're not by one. And it's even worse if you're doing construction on opening day. You know, U.S. Cellular does okay. Guaranteed rate does have some good food. I do like the food at Bush Stadium. No, 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 no. Okay, I haven't been to Bush, so like Matt, you can you can totally chime in after this because I'm not gonna pretend like I know it's better. But if you go to Section 110 at Guaranteed Rate Field and you get the Polish sausage or Italian sausage with grilled onions, like sautéed on the grill and peppers, it will make your mouth orgasm harder than any woman or man ever could in your entire life. It is the best fucking thing I have ever eaten, ever. Plus the lemon ices and lemon chills that come around at about the seventh inning. It is. It, it, I could go to guaranteed rates strictly to eat the food. I, I do want to point out, before we get to Matt's take on the Bush Stadium food, because we'll, we'll do that very quick. A very, um, even in my opinion, coming from the north side, Wrigley Field was ranked 13th in atmosphere, and I think that's way too low. Like, there is nothing like the Wrigley Field atmosphere. Like, that, that's unbelievable. Like, even, like, I'll give you top five, right? Like, there might be four teams ahead of them, but, but there's no way, like, the scoreboard, like, the whole outside scene, just the stadium itself, but the history there, that, that, that's way too low. If I had to rank the top five atmospherical baseball stadiums, number one. At, atmospherical? Yeah. You know, you know what I'm we're, getting at? We're trademarking it. Yeah, atmospherical. Because, I mean, it's the whole atmosphere around the, uh, around the vicinity. So. The aura. The aura. The aura. Okay. So, number one, I would have to say, I think it would be Atlanta. I think Atlanta would be number one. All the fucking axe hand movements and everything. I think Atlanta would be number one. Number two. Would probably have to be Boston. I feel like Boston fans are, they really get into it. Three, you know, I don't want to say New York. I don't want to say New York at all. I was, I was thinking Yankees or, or the Giants. Yeah, I was, say, I was, Fran. Saying, San Fran was my four and then Wrigley was my five. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got, you got some history there. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah, I level with all of those. I level okay. with all of those. Now, here's a fun fact for you that they just decided on tonight, and I don't know if you saw this. Guaranteed Rate Field has become the first stadium to extend the netting to the foul poles. Yeah, you have to protect those empty seats. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to get no dents in those. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. Come, come at me, the lowly Sox fan. We only get like nine thousand attendance. That's okay, okay. But in all seriousness, like, okay. You I, want, I, I heard, you want to hear my problem with with this 
whole let's extend the netting to the foul poles, how are you going to get autographs from these players that try to sign stuff before games during warm-ups and everything? If you've got netting and everything, how are you supposed to get like a hat over the top? or so? You can't fit that through those little holes. You're a grown-ass man. You don't need autographs. It's, I'm not talking me. I'm talking the kids. Man. We're, we do it for the kids. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think down the full line might be a bit excessive. But I will say, like, Guaranteed Rate did it very early. I went to a Sox game. I mean, I've been to many Sox games, but I went to one in the period after they added the netting, right? And I walked up, and I'm not, I shit you not, here's my experience, right? I walked up, and I go, well, shit, this sucks. This is going to be in my way. I'm not going to be able to see this. I hate this. Everything sucks. I can't see the field. Literally within half an inning, I'd already forgotten that the net was there. So, I mean, the netting isn't in terms of a fan and obstructing my view of the game. It, it doesn't matter. It keeps people safe. It keeps the kids safe. And, I mean, you watched Elmora on the Cubs, like, nearly break down because he hit a poor girl. And, like, that obviously is a complete accident. So, I think if it's keeping people safe, you know, why not? And you don't notice it. It's not a big deal. I mean, maybe outside of autographs. But, like, I think that's such a niche thing anyways. So, you know, I, I don't see a problem with it, right? Like, at the end of the day, it's not a huge deal. Uh, I've not tried it myself, but uh, because I always go to like get the simple nachos because I'm on the cheap. But <laughs> I hear good things about the uh, the new Budweiser burger that was uh, introduced. Yeah, dude, it has Budweiser built into the burger. You get some caramelized onions on there too, and it's on like a Kaiser bun and everything. And then there's also I can vouch for this uh, Country Bob's barbecue nachos. Shout out to Centralia, Illinois, for making that sauce for you. It's it's basically it's it's the best sauce you can think of on nachos. So You're, you heard it here. Matt's got the sauce. He's got the guys. He's got the plug. And I honestly, my mouth's watering over that. So I mean, St. Louis being ranked seventeenth, then if you're telling me that, sounds a little low. But the people have spoken. And for the audience listening, when when Matt gives out takes like this, he has a lot of uh, a lot of credit, I would say, credential. Cre- What's the word I'm looking for? Credibility. Credibility. Thank you. He's got a lot of credibility because this man is a rock paper scissors St. Louis Cardinal champion. Yeah, you're freaking right, dude. I got that video. We can post it later if you want. <laughs> yeah. Matt was on the jumbotron at Bush Stadium. And, and Ballpark Village. And Ballpark Village before the game. And it was like a 16-person Rock, Paper, Scissors tournament. And Matt won and won free beer tokens. Did you just give them away? And uh, I, I, gave it, I gave it straight to Quentin. And then I, then I got myself a soda. <laughs> <laughs> you better have bought that man a soda, Quentin. Oh, I did. I think I did. Okay. Okay. I remember, I think I remember Quentin telling me he drank a lot of beers at Bush Stadium, so that makes a lot more sense now. You know who else drank a lot of fucking beers? Me? Mark fucking Gasol. The Raptors are NBA champs. They have the parade. Mark Gasol is still hammered. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Mark Gasol is a classy European. He is not, he is not a, a brute Midwesterner like us. He drank wine, I will have you know. He chugged a bottle of wine. Now, he is seven foot. Let's keep that in mind. So a bottle of wine to him is probably like four bottles to me. 
But regardless, that dude slammed it. Plant Guy, though, I think stole the entire show along with Kawhi because Plant Guy, everyone saw the video. It, it went viral as hell. He was interviewed by the Toronto media. I think it was TSN, and they were asking him questions. He was just, I, I have a plant for Kawhi. Just make sure Kawhi gets my plant. And he gave Kawhi a little cactus. <laughs> it's a Kawhi plant. What kind of plant is it? It's a Kawhi plant. <laughs> that dude won everything. And I'm so happy that he found his way to the front to give Kawhi his plant. And the Kawhi actually, like, loved it. Like, he reached out. You knew he'd seen the video, too, because he took it, and he couldn't stop geeking about it, too. I loved it. Why, how come Serge Ibaka couldn't stop geeking, saying, you know, Kawhi was a fun guy? What does that mean? I think Kawhi and Serge was getting high as fuck for the past week, so I think they were just cracking up together. Like, they just had... I, I, you Did you see the video of, that Serge posted on his IG in a... Uh, in, in his car, like yeah, in the car that's, what, that's what I'm talking about. He's yeah, like, he's a fun guy, fun guy, Kawhi. Yeah, because Kawhi was sitting there with the fucking blunt rolling posture in the back, just sitting there fucking rolling up, and he kept peeking down, making sure he had the right tuck. <laughs> I didn't notice that, yes, dude. Yes, 100, percent man. Like Kawhi was like had that like bent over, like the kind of the shoulders perched, like the arms at the sides, like the hands kind of like you know in, and was like. Look, kept looking down to make sure like nothing was spilling out, dude. And Kawhi's like, later, there's another video on Serge's story where Kawhi's eyes are like, after that, are like fucking down. Like, you can't, yeah, just like, you can't see him. He's squinting. Kawhi was having a blast. He, I will give it to Kawhi, though. He has completely leaned into everything now that the NBA season's over. He gave his little speech. He had the ha, 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 ha. At the end of it, he he sold the laugh. He he's been playing along with it. I and you know what? Honestly, I never had a problem with Kawhi, but I appreciate him leaning into it as much as he has. Yeah, all credit to the Raptors. All credit to Kawhi. Uh, Clay Thompson. Hope he gets better. The ACL injury. But now it comes down to the Warriors. That's, really got to think here. What are we doing? Warrior. Kawhi, or Clay, absolute warrior too. Last thing. And that last game, running oh, back yeah. out, shooting the free throws. Oh, but, yeah. But obviously, you can't leave him out there. They knew his ACL was torn when they saw that vid. The, that's why when they were oh, like, I no. Knew I knew it right away. I texted you. I said, torn ACL. Right uh-huh. away. It was after watching Derrick Rose twice. I, I'm like a pro at watching these ACL injuries. Oh, that's a really sad, but true take. Chicago knows. When, when we see it, we know. All right. So, hey, here's the fun thing, okay? Sports, officially competitive sports are over, but the NBA has done a great job of marketing their free agency to being just as big of a fiasco as the NBA playoffs are to begin with. And the first news that we get coming out is that Kawhi says he's not meeting with the Lakers, only meeting with Clippers and Raptors. Those are mainly his two options right now. So, Quentin, I'm going to take the rein on this first and just give my gut reaction to hearing Clippers Raptors and say Kawhi is going to the Clippers. That is a 100% done deal. He is only saying that the Raptors are in it right now strictly because he does not want that image of he just celebrated the championship parade and he's already saying, like, I'm not coming back. I think it's strictly smoke and mirrors to not look like a complete asshat and say, like, all right, just won this. Bye, guys. You know, I don't think they're even going to be really mad at him if he leaves. Like I said, if he won a championship, which he did, I think he will be treated like royalty from here on out in the city of Toronto. I think the Clippers are the, his best financial move and the best 
home security move because they can offer him the longest deal possible. But I do think that Toronto could have the leverage because they could, I believe, give him a little more money than the Clippers. But if I was Kawhi... Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. A, a little more money. I think it's $30 million. That's not a little more money. Well, to him, it's a little more money. To us, it's a lot, but... I, well, I mean, $30 million to anybody is a lot of money. I don't know what's going to happen. I think I still think he's going to leave to become a Clipper. Plus, uh, Masai Ujiri, all-time hardo, punched a cop straight in the face trying to get onto the court after. So, I mean, maybe he'll use that in his pitch to Kawhi. Like, he's like, hey, like, I'm still here. Like, let's do it. So, moving across town, though, and, and we'll... we'll Try to keep West Coast bias to a to a minimum here, but you know, AD's a Laker, so there's that. The Lakers bent over, spread their cheeks, and said, "New Orleans, have your way with us," because they gave up way too much for Anthony Davis. Yeah, three first round picks: Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, Josh Hart. They really rolled out the brink truck, and then Brandon Ingram just said, Peace, bitches. I played with you before. I'm not staying here. <laughs> it's like, Zion, no thanks. There's a lot of free agents who have declined their options. Al Horford opted out with the Celtics. Harrison Barnes opted out with the Kings. So there are some good... I, I saw a video the other day of Carmelo Anthony shooting in the gym, too, and he missed one shot out of 45 shots he took. So... Yeah, that's the, I think that's the Lakers' backup plan. If they don't get one of these big-time free agents that they sign, they're just going to go sign Carmelo to a league minimum. Why don't they just have Magic Johnson go play the point while they're at it? Well, hey, I mean, I heard Brett Favre was thinking about coming back out of the fucking retirement. Why don't they just Why don't they just go get Lamar Odom and Andrew Bynum, too? They can really round out that front court. I, I don't think anybody knows where Lamar Odom is. That's fucking true. He's he's hanging out somewhere. He oh god, what, what's the name of the brothel that was in Las Vegas? He was at. I, I have no idea what the name of the brothel was. Hang on, I think it's Sunshine Ranch. Oh, the Love Ranch. Even better. The Love Ranch. You guys want to go over to the Love Ranch, baby? Hey, you thirty-five-year-old LeBron Anthony Davis. I, you're not going to be able to sign another all. You're not going to be able to sign another max deal player unless you give up your entire bench. Maybe, maybe this is the plan. Maybe LeBron signs another two year when his contract is up. Maybe Anthony Davis signs like a six year deal when after this season. And by the time Bronny Jr. comes into the league, it's LeBron, Bronny Jr., and Anthony Davis. How obligated is Anthony Davis to be in Space Jam 2 now? I would be willing to bet my three inches of my four-inch dick that Anthony Davis is in Space Jam 2. Yeah, that sounds about right. That definitely sounds about right. But L.A. also is trying to open up $32 million in cap space to sign a big league free agent. The draft is on Thursday. We'll see what happens with the Bulls. I keep hearing that they're just working out players. Bring me Darius Garland. Bring me Darius Garland. I want that fourth pick from the Pelicans. Bring me Garland. That's all I want. But let's get into our interview. This week, sitting in Section 312, we have the CEO and founder of LifeWatch, Elijah Wallace, and his CSO, which I so abruptly mispronounced before during the interview as i you know 
rehearsed it before even doing the interview, the CSO Mike White. We learned a lot. Uh, we had very many questions going into LifeWatch, and Eli, he took it all. He, he answered all of my questions within one story, so I didn't even have to ask the questions. That's how good of an interview this was. I felt like it was a very fun time. We didn't know what we were going to expect. They didn't know what they were going to to expect. I think it was just a lot of shooting the shit, but I can't complain with it. Like it was a good time, man. Like I I had a good time with Mike and Eli. They they knew how to get down. They told us some good stories. We learned a little bit about their business travels and some of their uh you know when you go to China and you go to the mainland and you're out of the city, make sure that you actually have cash and not just a debit card because those will just get declined. But yeah, I mean, it was it was a great time, dude. I I enjoyed having Mike and Eli on, and uh, they were they were super fun. Really excited for their product. I I'm I'm really happy for them. So here's our interview this week with the CEO and founder Eli Wallace and his CSO Mike White. Life Watch. Now sitting in section 312, we have the CEO and founder of the LifeWatch company, Elijah Wallace, and his chief executive officer, Mike. How I want to know first, Eli, how did you guys meet? Wait, no, so hold on. I want to be clear. Uh, Michael's <laughs> our, our, chief's, our chief strategy officer, oh, so our wow, CSO. Man. Already uh, a demotion? Yeah, right? The promotion? So anyway, how did you guys meet? So Michael and I actually, um, really funny story how we met. So we met virtually before we met in person. Uh, we both graduated from Northwestern University uh, in June of last year. And um, our, when we were, this, when we were going to be going into Northwestern uh, that summer, uh, Michael had like reached out to me on Facebook. We were supposed to be roommates, actually. And it's kind of funny. Uh, we love to tell this story because like, oh, man. Yeah, like, you like basketball? Like, yeah, dude, I like basketball, too. Uh, you like J. Cole? Yeah, I like J. Cole, too. Uh, so I guess we should be roommates. And so Michael and I were, were supposed to be roommates. And then, Michael, I guess you can tell them, I don't know uh, what changed on your end. I mean, I'm sure everyone's kind of familiar with, you know, it's, it's kind of awkward. Like, it's kind of, it's the only time in life, really, where you, like, you have that like male on male flirting, like going into that freshman year of college. You're like, you know, I got to get a cool roommate, right? Like, you know, you got to have your wingman uh, going into the, you know, your first year away from home. And uh, I'd kind of found the perfect guy in Eli. Like, you know, he plays basketball. Uh, we have a lot of the same interests. We like a lot of the same music. Um, just seems like a really down-to-earth guy. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's definitely a, a dance. Like It's like trying to find a prom date when you're trying to find a roommate freshman year totally, on the message board. Totally. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're doing these awkward like messaging kind of people, and you're like hitting up a couple different dudes. You're like, hey, what, what are you into? What am I into? It's, it is 100%. I know exactly what you mean, like kind of doing this weird dance. And yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of an awkward thing that you have to get over. You're doing all over messaging. So I 100% understand. But moving forward, and you mentioned this, and for both of you, so you both Wait, but really, really quickly, though, I, I would like <laughs> yeah. to ask, so, although, although Michael and I were not uh, freshman year roommates, unfortunately, we did meet each other um, at, at Northwestern's, Northwestern's gym, uh, which was then called Stack. Now it's called Henry Crown Sports Pavilion for uh, 
the Northwestern um, alumni and students who listen to this. And so we met there our first day on campus. And it was really kind of a, um, we've been like best friends since then, really. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah. And now we're starting yeah. this company together. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Someone probably donated a lot of money and you get your name put on a gym. That's kind of how it works there. But, you know, <laughs> when you do that, you can play. Um, okay, so you guys mentioned it. I'm glad you did. You both went to Northwestern. Uh, we'll just go kind of real broad here. What did you guys study and uh, kind of what led you to go to Northwestern to begin with? Um, yeah, so I studied economics, um, dabbled in, you know, entrepreneurship and business classes as well. For me, it was kind of uh an easy decision i was very lucky to get in. i got in off the wait list um so really it was not it was not really on my radar but i have a ton of family uh nearby and at the end of the day it was the best school i got into which was kind of my philosophy with applying to colleges you know just do whatever is going to open the most doors for you in life and so i was very lucky to get in and to this day i mean i, I got i met a guy like eli so we're starting a business together so uh so far so good 100%. I, so to answer why I chose to go to Northwestern, it's kind of funny. So for, so in high school, and Quentin, Quentin, for those of you, for the, for the listeners who may not know, Quentin and I went to high school together. We both grew up in Plano, Illinois. And Quentin can uh, attest to this. I was, a very, I was very serious about basketball um, from, like, let's say, middle school up until about my junior year, a sophomore or junior year of high school. And I had it made up in my mind that, you know, uh, I was going to play college basketball, preferably D1. When I was younger, you know, maybe I entertained ideas of uh, playing professionally. And so, but. It was awesome. I just want to say for the record, it was your dad is probably one of my favorite people growing up in high school. <laughs> he would show up to the basketball games in like full on corduroy suits with like. <laughs> with like these hats on and everything he looks so fly every time he walked into the gym and then you would have like the lavar ball type parents like malik's dad who are just screaming at you 24 7 and eli's dad's just sitting there and it's just like chill my son's got this like <laughs> you know quinn i'm glad that you remember that as well as you do um but yeah so uh, my dad is great but yeah so very serious about basketball, and then it kind of dawned on me uh, kind of a year or so in high school. I was like, you know, I am probably not, you know, the best. <laughs> like, my odds at being, you know, a, a, a world-class basketball player, you know, they're pretty slim. And um, I had always been a, a pretty good student from then on, from that, from up until that point. But at that point, when I realized that, you know, basketball is not going to be a big part of my future, I decided to commit myself to uh, performing, you know, well in school uh, with the hopes of getting into, um, similar to Michael, you know, the best school that I could get into. And um, I was fortunate, you know, I took the ACT a couple of different times and um, I was fortunate enough to get accepted to Northwestern. Um, and that was great for me because, you know, it's a great school. And I also want to be close to home uh, near my family. Uh, it's funny now that I'm living out in San Francisco. Uh, but that was my thinking at the time. And uh, as I said, I got in and it was uh, for the best years of my life. 
I initially started studying economics, which is probably the most popular major at Northwestern. But, you know, I it wasn't really my cup of tea. And so I switched over. I ended up studying, graduating with a history major, which is best decision of my life. I'm going to take this opportunity to encourage everyone to at least consider studying history or something like it. And I also, like Michael, I minored in entrepreneurship. Nice. So uh, I, got, I got a little bone to pick. I already picked it with Joseph when he was on a couple weeks ago. Um, number one, so I went to Wisconsin for my undergrad, so a little bit up north. How did it feel getting whooped by us in football and basketball every year? Actually, I think you guys beat us. But And two, what do you say about how shitty Northwestern's football field is? Nothing even to disagree with. I think you just teed up like just like a softball yeah, out of the park. Home run. I mean, Northwestern yeah, yeah. sports, I mean, as a Division One athlete myself, I was a I was a practice player on the women's college basketball team there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you added that. Yeah, I can. I can. So having done that, having had that experience, I'm I can always, you know, downplay our sporting program. Um, yeah, not great. But I do remember like I went. So I only went to like three Northwestern football games because, like you said, absolute joke of a stadium. I think that if they're not redoing it, they need to be redoing it. Um, it feels like you're in like kind of like a high school esque crowd, but I do remember Melvin Gordon rushing for something like yeah. 280 yards. Yep. Um, <laughs> you guys still lost. You, <laughs> I mean, you, it's because of your grass. It's because of your grass. <laughs> that thing's an ACL like death trap. The, the, the Ryan Field grass is an ACL death trap. Like it, it's like something comes out of the weeds and like hits people in the sides of the knee, and then knees just explode. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, that's what we do here. We start you guys off with like a nice softball question, and then I just <laughs> at you go straight to the heart with a with a Northwestern sports question. I got, I got it right here. <laughs> okay, so. Now that we, our audience and viewers get to know you a little bit, let's jump into the LifeWatch company. How did you guys come up with the idea to launch this watch company? I have been working on LifeWatch for two years now. Michael came into the picture um, about a little bit over half a year ago. Michael was, um, when everyone thought that I was crazy for going out to China, to meet with some, you know, manufacturer to make my watches, you know, Michael was crazy enough to join me. Um, and I'll tell, I'll tell that story a little bit more later, but I'll start from the beginning first. But I just wanted to say, yeah, so that, that's when Michael came in and he's been an invaluable partner in the company since then. But so I guess what I'll do is I'll kind of tell the time, kind of the life watch history up until Michael, and then I guess we'll tell it together from then. So, as I said, LifeWatch started started working on it about two years ago. It was the summer it was the summer before my senior year at Northwestern, and I was going shopping for a watch. I want I've always been a fan of digital watches, and so I wanted just like a cool, simple digital watch that I could um, you know like wear to class at the time, work out in. Where to bars at the time, Nevins and uh, stuff like that, which is a pretty popular bar on campus at Northwestern, and um, which has since been closed down. Actually, now I think about it, but yeah, so that was what I—that's what I was in the market for, and, and I didn't want anything like an Apple Watch or a Fitbit because I don't really care about how many steps I take in a day. 
I'm really more interested in just like, you know, being active, having fun. And so I basically realized that there were no cool digital watches on the market. They were all like, you know, really tech-centric smartwatches. And I thought, you know, there must be people out there who want a cool, simple watch. And so from that point on, you know, I did a bunch, I actually uh, wrote up some surveys, went to a mall in Aurora, Illinois, um, and just, you know, I just started asking random people at the mall, like, questions about, like, how they felt about watches. Basically just trying to get an understanding of, you know, is there a market for this product that I'm interested in creating? And so I did that initial research, and it went well. I gave me enough confidence, and I continued pursuing the idea. And I actually, uh, the first thing, so after I, I wrote up the business plan and all that stuff, as I said, I studied entrepreneurship at Northwestern. So I was kind of, I kind of had that background. And so after I did all the business and branding and strategy stuff, I reached out to someone who, Quentin, you will know. Uh, you mentioned him earlier, Malik. So I keep, Malik. You need, okay, before we go forward, you need to <laughs> word with me to Malik because I ch- keep trying to get him on the podcast to talk Lico Prince, and he just ghosts me like a fucking high school girlfriend. <laughs> Malik, you can't get him on the show? He's big time in us. You know what I'll do? You know what? I'll, all right, Quinn. How about? I think once this this podcast goes goes out, you know, and hopefully everyone in the world listens to it, Malik Malik will be one of those people, and you know he'll he'll probably be honored as I am to be a guest on your show. Uh, but I, yeah, I'll put in a good word. But so that's all we ask yeah. for. <laughs> so. Um, I, so Malik, uh, he's a talented artist, a very, very talented artist. And so I re- I'm, and I'm not. And so I reached out to him. I was like, hey, you know, man, I have this idea for this watch company. And I want to know, you know, would you be willing to, um, you know, help me like do things like make the logo and design the early sketches and so on and so forth. And he agreed to do so. And so I went over to his place in Chicago and, you know, over the course of several months, you know, I would go over there pretty regularly and, you know, he was sitting down and he had like the pencil and the paper and, you know, I was sitting next to him kind of pulling up, you know, inspiration, pre-existing stuff that I kind of, you know, I thought looked cool that I kind of wanted to, you know, take parts of, and we came up with the logo and the early sketches and all that stuff. And so that was going on. And also while that was going on, I was, my senior year had started and I started working uh, under, I was, I basically did an, 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 an independent study with a professor at Northwestern who's also the, 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 an assistant director of our entrepreneurship center and um, worked with her was designing the watch and then um got an engineer at northwestern to help me do the 3d designs and then spent months now this is actually a really good part so i spent months looking for a manufacturer to make to help me make these watches after i had gotten all the designs and 3d renderings done you would not believe that was actually i look back on it now i would say that that was the most challenging part of the entire process because you gotta keep in mind like 
I don't just need like, you know, a watch manufacturer. I need a digital watch manufacturer and I not just any digital watch manufacturer, you know, a, a quality one, right? Because I have standards. I want this to be a really good product that I, that our company's selling. And so, I mean, I was, I was on the, I was taking phone calls and sending out emails like every day to different manufacturers all over the world, like Mexico, um, China, Portugal, et cetera. <clears throat> this is actually funny. There is even one guy, um, the the the, the the company that manufactures Timex watches, I got in the head of their manufacturing like firm or whatever. I got his phone number, and I called him one day. I called him one time. It was um, and it was pretty early on. I was like, hey, you know, would you guys consider helping me make my watch? And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. You just need to like get some like designs to us, and then yeah, we'll help you out. And so that and so fast forward a few months, you know, I got the designs, and then I called this dude. And I called, I kid you not, I called him every day for like a month. And he, I always, always got his secretary and she, I would ask for him and she would say that she would like, oh, leave a message. I never got the guy. I never, I never spoke to him again. And so, but I ended up finding a manufacturer. By the way, this has taken course over like, over like a year and a half at this point. Finally got a manufacturer and like we were emailing back and forth, sending him the designs and like saying what they're able to do. And, you know, they really were checking all the boxes. And so I get to the point where it's like, hey, well, you know, I, it looks like you guys might be able to, might be a good partner. I would like to come out to your factory. <clears throat> and he's like, oh, yeah, like here's our address. And I was like, wow, like this dude just like casually tosses me his address as if I'm not, if I, as if I wouldn't be flying across the world. You know, it's almost like, Oh, Quentin, you know, like, where's the party at? It's like, you know, it's the town over or something. Like, oh, here's the address. You know, for me, it's this it's whole adventure, right? He does it so offhandedly, which is pretty off-putting. And so from there, it's like, and now this is where Michael comes into the story. And feel free to interrupt me. I know I've been talking a lot. I just kind of want to give you guys the background. So You're good. is that my cue to interrupt you? No, no, I'm, you're going to come in soon. <laughs> and so um, Michael and I, we had gotten into running together because there was, I was dating this girl. Um, you might hear this. But I was dating Dude, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. I was dating, who shall remain unnamed, I was dating a girl during my senior year. And this girl was like a rock star runner. Um, and like she, she near, won the race. Near, we we yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so she was near Olympic level. Um, and she <laughs> got me into running. And so Michael and I's first big race, which we did together, um, which was a half marathon. This girl actually placed second in that race. <laughs> it was oh, the so, Chicago, the Chicago yeah, Spring Half Marathon. <laughs> So, so this was like when you get the girlfriend that's really big into yoga, and you like go out and you buy the expensive mat, you buy all the stuff, you got the pants, you got you you go out with the tights, then you're you're like, all right, I'm all yoga now, okay? Yeah, that's, that's why, what. Watch out for the runners, man. One hundred percent. It's okay though, because you know I went on a uh, I went on a seven mile run today. Like I'm still running today. I mean, it's a good it's a good thing for me. So you know, cheers to her. But. <laughs> So back to the story, which is that um, 
Yeah, so Michael and I, that's why we talked about the running, because Michael and I were, were going to be running this 31-mile trail run in, uh, in San Francisco. And um, so I just reached out to Michael, because this is this was in November now, we're in November of last year. And so I reached out to Michael maybe like three weeks before he was supposed to fly out, because Michael was living in Chicago at the time and still does. And it's like, hey, Michael, you know, I'm excited about your trip to San Francisco and about our big race. But I just want to let you know that I'm going to be flying to China on Sunday. And so so like I just want you to factor that in into your trip, because, you know, I don't want you to think that I want you. Basically, you should get an early flight on Sunday to fly back to Chicago after our race on Saturday. <laughs> and Michael, I will never forget. He goes, so is that an invitation? <laughs> and I was like. Yeah, dude, I would love to have you in China. I would love for I would love for you for the two of us to go to China together. And so um, the race actually ended up getting canceled because there were wildfires across the state at the time, and so just the conditions were too bad. So Michael and I we just like had a bunch of fun in San Francisco that weekend, um, and then we flew out to Hong Kong. Uh, um, we flew out to Hong Kong on that Sunday, stayed at a hotel there for the night, then took the maglev or high-speed bullet train to China that next day. That day was a whole adventure. And then, uh, which I won't, I won't necessarily get into right now. Um, but you know, maybe we will a little bit later because it's such a great story. And so we took the maglev train to Shenzhen, China, met with the manufacturer, had a great meeting with them, um, got a tour of their factory, like met their team, and like they really checked all the boxes, like they like like high ethical standards. They produced like all the other watches they've made historically, like very high quality, um, great brands, great other other great brands work with them as well. And um, they drove us to the train station, and then Mike, so we got we took the train back to Hong Kong. Michael and I had like an incredible trip in Hong Kong for a week and then um, came back to the States, got the watches after a few months through a grand launch party or in, in an art gallery in Chicago. And um, now we're launching our company. Uh, today so we're recording this on Sunday. So we're launching our company tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Um, I know, I know your your fans will probably hear this on Thursday, so hopefully they've all bought a watch by then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, that's uh, that's the story of Life Watch. Thanks for listening. I know that was a lot, but it's a long story. I, and I left out a lot of details. I was, I was trying my best. I was gonna say, well, it sounds like you guys took a lot of zigs and zags, especially you know going halfway across the world to kind of go through this. So I mean, what was that journey like? You you guys didn't get sick, did you? You didn't drink the water, right? You're not supposed to drink the water out there. <laughs> so we drank the water. I mean, tell them we should tell them a little bit of the story. I want to tell them the story about you know our day in Shenzhen. So I'll oh, wow. like start it off, which is that. So, uh, so Michael, Michael and I, I should make it clear. Michael and I took separate flights from San Francisco <laughs> to Hong Kong, which, which and, was its whole its own whole adventure like that. That was too much. <laughs> that was that was a whole that wasn't that was an adventure. Um, so yes. I, yeah, I'm a consultant by day, 
Um, and we fly a ton, you know, every every single week, at least twice a week, it feels like. Um, but I, I, I didn't quite realize, like, you have to be at an international flight two hours before it leaves. Um, and, you know, I don't go to – I'm not in California that often. Uh, so I found myself, like, indulging in some of California's finer things. <laughs> and I get to this airport, like – 45 minutes before this flight leaves and it was a whole it was a mess honestly uh i i hardly had my wits about me it felt like and and they actually (laughs) said michael was this close to missing his flight and they actually said his name over the intercom and the airport it's like you know reporting to michael white and I get it. I was like, "Is that is that Michael's name? <laughs> Did he miss his flight?" Yeah. And so I get a text and, from Michael. It's like, "Oh yeah, like did you was that my name?" I was like, "Yeah, dude, that was definitely your name." It's like, "Well, I'm on the flight. weren't you on the flight by that time?" Well, I was I was close. I was like at the gate. You know, I'm the only English speaking person. Like honestly, I'm pretty sure I'm already in Hong Kong at this point. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh you know i keep going up to like the front desk i'm like hey have you guys like i'm michael white like i swear to gosh i mean i've heard this name like three times now like no sit back down and you know i'm freaking out a little bit honestly (laughs) and you know and and i make i make this judgment call where i say you know this gate is my gate i'm getting on whatever whatever destination this flight is going to i'm I'm hopping on it (laughs) and lo and behold it it was hong kong uh thank gosh yeah, and so I was yeah, so luckily Michael made it. And so uh so I arrived in Hong Kong after Michael did. And so and so I, I get there, it's nighttime there, and I am just like I had never I had never at that point at that time I had never been to Asia before. And so I get off the plane, I'm like, wow, like this is very much, you know, just a different world, you know, different place. And I'm a little bit overwhelmed. Um I'm also, you know, by myself. And so I, it takes me like an hour to grab, to find my Uber, to get to, and then, you know, I have the trip to the hotel and I'm just looking out the window, like, you know, very taken aback by it all, get to the hotel and Michael's there, you know, we hardly say a word to each other. We just fall asleep and then you know, we wake up for the next day. But, um, our, our meeting with our manufacturer was scheduled for 9am that following morning. And so, you know, and we kind of did the, did a little bit of research, you know. I was like, oh, you know, the the, the high speed bullet train from Hong Kong to Shenzhen, it's about 20 minutes long. And so, okay, great. So, you know, we set our alarms for 7 a.m. We get a good workout in at the hotel gym. <laughs> yeah, we worked out before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, of course. All the time in the world, like you know, exactly. Like, have like a three course breakfast. <laughs> oh, we had breakfast, <laughs> and you know, we finally get to the train station, and we don't get a train station until like nine. And so, like, you know, I texted – and this – we were so naive now that I think about it because I text, I, I text my guy, my point man at the manufacturer, like, hey, you know, we're going to be about half an hour to an hour late. And so we're at the train station, and we go to buy our tickets, and we're like, oh, oh there's, a, you know, there's a train leaving in like 10 minutes or so. It's like, oh, we'll take that one. It's like, oh, no, you can't – your train needs to leave at least like two hours yeah. Asked, like, your train needs you, to leave. Turns out you have to go through customs. <laughs> well, oh. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> to go into mainland China from Hong Kong, you need to go through customs. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's really more, 
it's and Michael was talking about his struggles, you know, at the airport from San Francisco. It's really more like an airport than it is a train station. <laughs> uh, and, but we had to learn this. And so we go through costumes. I mean, there are cameras everywhere and like a dozen different checkpoints, but we make it through. And I'm like throughout this entire time, you know, I'm like constantly updating my, my guy at the manufacturer, our guy at the manufacturer, like, hey, you know, half an hour late, hour late, so on and so forth. <laughs> and then, you know, we go through all that get on our train and the train is smooth. We arrive in Shenzhen and Michael, I'm sure you remember this really well. We get off the train and then we go, we go to the taxis and we get in and like, we like, I hand the guy my card and starts talking, start talking English to him. Um, and he just like, does not understand a word that we're saying. Um, and like, they don't accept our cards because they, they don't accept. <laughs> yeah, our cards don't work in Shenzhen, China, and we get like we were very overwhelmed. He's like screaming at us basically. We get out of the cab, and then we quickly realize that unlike in Hong Kong, we were out. No, <laughs> we were out. Unlike in Hong Kong, almost no one in Shenzhen speaks English, and not only that, but our our credit cards debit cards didn't work in shenzhen and so we're like we were like going around like what like what the hell are we gonna do like you know we need to find money we need to like figure out how to get there i think we decided we were gonna have a lunch right just to kind yeah, of yeah. get so our bearings we, <laughs> so we find we find a, a bank withdraw you know a lot of money because like you know we realize that's all that we have you know we don't have cards yeah we don't have a common language the only thing that we can fall back on is having you know cash and so we get cash and then you know michael's like oh you know dude like it's been it's been a long afternoon like let's get some food man (laughs) and so (laughs) we're already like three hours late for a meeting and by the way at this point i'm starting Keep in mind, although we're in Shenzhen, we have no idea where the manufacturer, like where the factory is in Shenzhen, right? And we have no concept. And so, but, and so but basically, like, I'm starting to get worried that we might end up getting there too late. And, and like, you know, we might miss them. Yeah. Nonetheless, we have lunch. And so <laughs> we have our lunch, which is very eventful as well, because once again, you know, no one there at the restaurant spoke English, and everyone was basically staring at Michael for much of the time. Michael and I for a bunch of the time, and um, we kind of were a huge spectacle. Um, our our server was he had to order our food for us. Um, we ate with plastic gloves. That was a thing. Do you remember that, Michael? Yeah, I remember being laughed at for not knowing that you know you're supposed to eat with your hands there. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. And so we had our lunch, which was really fun. Had a couple beers with it. I said, okay, so now let's let's go to our factory. We're yeah, we got we're here. We know what to expect. Got some food in our stomachs. Let's go to our factory. So we get grab a cab, and we already know the deal right now, right? You know, they're going. They need to take. They're only taking cash from us, and they're not. They don't speak English. Now we know. And so we get in the cab, and I put in the address to the to the factory, but. I just have poor service on my phone, and so my Google Maps isn't working, and so like I just can't pull up. I can't pull up the factory, 
And so the guy, and so the, the driver, I go to show him the address in my email though, my email communications with the fact, my email communications with the factory. And so he actually, and so he actually, in the signature, they had their address and their phone number. And so he called the, their phone and like starts speaking in Chinese to them for a few minutes and then like hands me back my phone and then just starts driving off. And so Michael and I are like, well, we don't know like where we're going. We don't know where we are, like what's going on. And, but we're just like, I'm just like, dude, we're just gonna, like, we came here to go to this factory. Like, that's what we're going to do. And so we just in the back of the cab and we drive for what, like an hour, Michael? An hour through just the most well, random I, just, parts we, of China. Yeah. We just, we just drove for an hour, like, you know, just far away. And then we finally, like, you know, they drop us off and then we are at the factory and, you know, it's a great factory. The team comes down to greet us. They were great. And it was a great meeting and they drove us back to the train station, as I said earlier. But it was really a thing where we we were in a pretty uncertain situation in that I didn't even know if this factory existed. I mean, I had been communicating with them via email. <laughs> Michael... <laughs> I mean, Michael, and we like we, you know, I. We, this could have been a whole big mind. scheme. Exactly. Let, let's let's keep that in mind, right? I mean, I was talking to someone on a keyboard, and we we flew out to China. Um, yeah. Oh, also, we should keep, we should also mention that this was over Thanksgiving. But I just want to close and say that it was all very uncertain. Didn't know the factory existed. Had no idea, like you know, about China or you know, going to a factory out there. I called my mom and told her, like, hey, mom, I'm not going to be home for Thanksgiving because I'm going out to meet with a factory that I'm not even sure exists. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> just show up, it was just going to be empty field at that. Exactly. And, you know, and I, I really I really commend Michael because, you know, his trust in me, he's he just trusted me, like didn't ask a question, <laughs> jumped on board, you know, and that's kind of how we've been doing things since just kind of throwing ourselves in the situations um, that, you know, we're not exactly prepared for, but that's been kind of the fun in it all. These kinds of experiences though, with, with you two and building some chemistry for the business have to be huge because, you know, you guys going through that shit together, probably, you know, learn more about each other and kind of built yourselves up in kind of the coordinations uh, like exponentially. How do you guys go into meetings then? Like, what's the approach? Like, is Mike coming in bad cop and Eli's good cop? Like, what, what, you're seeing some investors. Like, like, what's the approach? Like, you know, is there one guy's good guy, one guy's bad guy? Selling high. <laughs> you know, so Michael and I, we have, we've developed a lot of chemistry over, I mean, so that we've been friends for over five years at this point. It's never really a set playbook, right? It's always kind of how we're both feeling at the moment, right? And, is that is that right, Michael? You know, like sometimes that, that resonates. That resonates. I'm I'm interested in where you take this. And then I have some analogs. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, I was gonna say. You know, sometimes you take the lead. Sometimes I take the lead. You know, um, sometimes I don't really feel like saying much of anything. And, and you know, <laughs> and you know, same thing for you. So it's really, and I think that's kind of a testament to our friendship and our partnership is that, you know. We can, it can be situational where not, neither of us are kind of put into a box 
and we can kind of go based off of how you know we're each feeling um and that's kind of how we do business that's how we have fun that's how we do everything so i want to get into the watch itself here because first off i like the design i like the way it looks but i want to know what is stopping so when you go to a random person what is stopping somebody from purchasing your watch or just going to Walmart and buying a $20 digital watch? That's a really good question, Quentin. And so, you know, I've spent a lot of time um, thinking about what, you know, what Life Watch is um, in terms of like, you know, the company, the brand, the culture. And um, of course, I've spent, you know, a lot of time designing the product itself and like thinking about, you know, what features I want the product to have. And so the thing about LifeWatch is that it is, so first off, it's like the brand, the story of this company, which we talked a lot about, like our adventures that we've shared, you know, whether it be going to China or throwing a launch party in Chicago, it's really all about adventure. And like, that's kind of at the core of I think that, you know, the way that you know, Michael and I kind of approach life is that, like every day is an adventure. And I kind of wanted that to be at the center of the company. And so I kind of look at LifeWatch as like we're an adventure company that makes watches. And so we want to we want our watch um, the way that, you know, it's design, it's feature, it's features, it's functionality to kind of complement every day of your life you know, and every um Every day is adventure. So basically, a watch that looks good enough where you can not only wear it to go to go to the gym, or you know to go on a hike, or to go on a run, or whatever it be, or you know to go on a swim. You know this watch, it's it's waterproof up to 100 feet, and that was something that was very important to me because I like to swim, and I also I like to jet ski too. Um, so <laughs> I'm gonna be riding, I'm gonna wear it while I'm out and jet ski, um, and you know it has time, day, and date on it, stopwatch, alarm clock, um, and a backlight. It's written, it's, so it's the features, the features and functionality is like really uh, distilled to like only most important things that you would need in a watch. And then it's designed in such a way that you can wear it, as I said, in an active setting to the office. I wear this to the office every day. Um, on a date, you know, I wear it on dates, you know, at bars, at a restaurant, whatever it may be. Um, and so it's basically, it's there. It's it's kind of like a tool for your life, and that's how I hope that our customers use it as well. So it sounds like the approach that you're going for with this, if if I'm understanding correctly, is a one size fits all type watch. Something to the degree of I don't need to have a smart watch for when I want to go to the gym, have another watch for going out, and another watch for when I go to work, and kind of have to have all three. Instead, I can buy one and only have the one life watch, and that can kind of be, you know, your life. The whole, like your life can be in the life watch. Yeah, is, is that trademark? Can we use that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna get into section, a shark. Section three one two just needs a little bit of royalties. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna go Shark Tank and say I want three percent royalty for that, but uh, I think we can give it to you guys for free for helping us out and coming on here. <laughs> Michael, I'm gonna direct this next question to you since you're right. so here. So the watch market is. I think it's fair to say fairly big. There's a lot of companies out there. You guys are competing with some big sharks. So how do you go about building a niche in this market? And what, I guess, groups or target markets are you kind of approaching for this watch? 
Yeah, I mean, I think you you hit it right on the hammer right there where you're saying, you know, this is such a large market, but it's also very saturated. You know, there's there's so many different watch brands out there and a watch is so personal, right? Because like it's kind of you're like subtle, as a, especially as a guy, I should say, it's hard to make a statement with like what you wear. Yeah. Um, maybe you can wear some funny socks in the office, but even that's, you know, <laughs> you're really starting to push it a little. Bit. Right. Uh, so your watch is definitely it's personal to you. <clears throat> Um, and so I, I do think we're gonna, it's, it's, it's definitely more of like your athletic, um, kind of very busy person where, like you said, you know, you can, you don't need three watches. You can just wear one watch, but I think it's a little bit more than that. Um, not nothing against smart watches. I think it's great if, 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 if you have it and it works for you. Um, I noticed though that, you know, I have so much going on in my life. It feels like at times, and I'm sure maybe a lot of our listeners, maybe you guys here feel the same way where it's easy to get distracted. Um, and if you're looking down at your wrist and, you know, you see 30 notifications, but you know, there's a, you're on a, you're on a date or even here, you know, I've, I've just a couple hours ago, I'm having dinner with my family. Um, it'd be easy to kind of lose sight of the moment and be taken out of that moment and so what i think is great about life watch and i think it's it's admirable that eli's kind of found this niche that we're hoping is is there is that you know there's somebody out there who wants kind of the very the minimalist approach to telling time and to to fashion you know it's it's a subtle statement i think it looks good it's sleek and um it does exactly what you need it to do. Nothing more, nothing less. And I think that is the kind of the beauty of it. Everything that Michael said is true. And I would like to add that you know, he asked, who is the life watch for? And I kind of, you know, the life watch is for everything. You know, if you go to our Instagram page, we have, you know, uh, famous directors wearing our watch. We have famous rappers wearing our watch. We have uh, investment bankers. We have firemen. We have teachers, right? So it's like, any and every type of person who kind of, you know, living each day to its fullest and kind of simplifying life, um, whoever that message resonates with, that's who, you know, wears life watch. I mean, another, like, for example, like Michael and I were going to the X Games in January of next year, like, you know, with the brand and uh, hoping to get some, uh, some ambassadors there. And so, you know, in that case, elite skiers were our watch, right? And like snowmobile, snowmobilers. So and it's really kind of a universal brand that, you know, appeals to people who want to simplify their lives and make the most of every day. So sticking with the whole watch aspect of it, because I like your guys definition and really defining what this watch is. What can we expect from this watch? How much are you guys going to retail them for? What can we expect from them in the terms of color, interchangeable bands and stuff like that? Yeah, so. Really great opportunity right now uh, because our kicks, as I said, our Kickstarter is going to be launching on Monday of this week, which will be, you know, I know your fans will hear this on Thursday. Uh, so Kickstarter, it'll be, it'll be at a bit of a discount from our retail price. So uh, the first week, the early bird special, they're going to be fifty-seven dollars, and then after that first week, they're going to raise to sixty-seven dollars, and then uh, they're going to retail for about eighty dollars. So you get a huge discount by supporting us on Kickstarter because, you know, those are going to be, those are our early adopters. And those are going to be people like our friends and family who have supported us from day one 
when this was just an idea um, and a watch didn't even exist. And so we will really appreciate their support. That's why it's going to be discounted then. Um, and then in terms of what people can expect in terms of like color and design, right now it's coming out in five different colors. Uh, there are two. There's two different blues. There's a green, and then there are two different kind of types of blacks. Uh, but I really like to see us get really creative in terms of the different like you know colors and style directions that we pursue. But you know right now we're kind of starting off. With a, with a little bit more focus. I would just add on to that really quickly, if I may. Um, we are. It's also we're, lo- we're launching a women's line as well. I think some of the feedback we've gotten so far is from women at the, you know, we had a launch party in Chicago. We invited a lot of our good friends. And all the women were saying, you know, like, wow, we really love this watch too. You know, it was just a little bit too large maybe in the face. So we've kind of, we've worked with some designers to redesign it. And we'll have a, a woman's line available as well for the, our first launch and this first model. And then I'd also Michael, add, yeah. I'm yeah, glad that you added that. Yeah. So there's, add, so it's for both men and women. And Michael, yeah. go ahead. And then just lastly, I would say like, you know, we feel so strongly in this product. Um, I've, it's, it's truthfully like my favorite accessory that I own um so I, we've kind of we talked about it a little bit and we're putting like a lifetime guarantee behind it um for all of our for all of our customers out there so eli you're out in san francisco mike you've been out in san francisco a little bit um you guys haven't gone vegan yet have you no granola you know no. i i you know i have not gone vegan although i did kind of have a vegan phase uh, but I won't, we won't get into that. Anymore, <laughs> but no, I'm not vegan. No, <laughs> that's good. You're going to hold strong. I give you about a year and then, and then <laughs> so check back in. <laughs> Michael, you're not originally from San Francisco, correct? Correct. Where are you originally from? Well, so Michael doesn't live in San Francisco. He lives in Chicago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. By, by ways of, uh, Columbus, Ohio. Um, but my, my sports allegiance lies with Chicago. Okay. What part? Of, are you north side or south side? Come on, north side. Oh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, man, what, I feel like I'm always outnumbered on this, dude. I can never. Are you we, a White Sox guy? Yeah. yeah we got we to gotta get a. Yes, I know. That there's few of us, but we stand strong. Um, <laughs> so, Drew, I, you know, I feel I kind of have this internal um, battle with myself in that. I grew up, you know, my family, they're White Sox fans. Um, but, you know, like, my family was not huge sports fans. But, you know, I, they took me to a few White Sox games here and there. And, you know, that was that. And then when I went to Northwestern, everyone was Cubs fans. And so, you know, if you ever go to a game, you're only going to go to a Cubs game. And then the Cubs, you know, they won the World Series for the first time in like 80-something years during my uh, junior year there. And so... I kind of, you know, I'm I'm kind of a lost soul in that I don't really know. You know, am I a Cubs fan? Am I a Sox fan? I haven't made it up for myself. And, you know, it it's I would like to settle to resolve that one day. I don't know if I ever will, but uh, that's where I am. So I want to know personally, Eli, when you're in Chicago and Michael, you being in Chicago, what is your guys' favorite spots in the city and what is your favorite place to go get food? This is another one of those just softball home runs. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Wining and dining, I feel like it's one of our 
our areas of specialties, <laughs> Eli. <laughs> Just, that's 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 the move. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think our favorite restaurant would probably be Sushi San. I don't know if you guys have had that. It's a little Japanese place on West Loop. Um, you can get this beer called Asahi, which I'm you guys are probably familiar with. Yes. Just, yeah. It's so cold and refreshing. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. I had I had sushi last night in San Francisco, Michael, and I had three large asahis. It reminded me of Hong Kong. Did you, you pay $200 for that? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they were more expensive than they were in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. <laughs> 175 got you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I'll ask you another one follow up really quick, Mike, because I, I've recently gotten into the sushi world. It is delicious. I love it. W- what's your go to if you're if you're ordering at the bar? Oh, man, like you can't you look kind of weak, right? Especially, well, if you're on a date and you order a California roll, like, you know what you're getting. You know, it's going to be good. Yes. But you look just so novice. Yes. The whole sushi <laughs> game. <laughs> so I like to just go. I like to venture far enough where it looks like I know what I'm talking about. And I go with the shrimp tempura. Uh, <laughs> okay yeah right you gotta go moderate like you're not going yeah. up to the crazy stuff but like you're no, not like i don't need like the eel or anything like that no. yeah no <laughs> yeah, i just want to jump in here i am not well, I, a food guy at all so this is all just over my head you know i'm i'll stick, I'll stick to my old style here in a big beef with <laughs> So, guys, we do want to take the time to say thank you for coming to sit in Section 312. This interview has been a lot of fun. We got a couple final questions left before we let you go. Andrew, you got one more? Eli, before before um, we started recording here, Eli mentioned he had listened to a couple of our podcasts. So I wanted to do a mini review with Eli before we wrap up. Um, I'll ask some uh, quick bullet questions for you here. One... I have a better voice than Quentin, correct? <laughs> yes, yes, true. Thank you. That was just that was just honestly to pick myself. But I got the prettier face, right? <laughs> yeah. Dude, I don't want I I don't want to get in the, in the middle of this. I feel like you know a kid is kind of getting caught <laughs> in the middle. Well, let me say this. Let me say this because this everybody asks me, why did you major in radio broadcasting? Well, I got the voice for radio, but I don't have the face for TV. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, give us a give us a rating out of five stars. You can be brutally honest here because we're we're all about constructive criticism on this show. Yeah. So I gotta say, the one podcast I listen to like fully through. Here, three points really quickly. I think the audio could have been better. Um, I thought, but the high, the high note of it was the banter, like kind of the relationship, the oh, chemistry yeah. that between you, between the two of you, was really great. I mean, the banter really. So I consider, I would say that Michael, Michael probably agree with this. You know, our banter between the two of us, you know, it's. It's, you know, we've perfected it, you know, and it's not only entertaining to the two of us, but, you know, to usually all of our bystanders. Yeah. And so anyone who kind of caught in the crossfire and listening to the two of you talk, it reminded me of, you know, uh, Michael and I, you know, me and some of my best friends, you know, bantering back and forth. And you're just getting some really good material. Uh, Speaking of banter. Um, we never really got to talk too much about Hong Kong, but I know you know don't want to have the show be too long. Uh, Michael and I, we have we're 
we also have the life watch thing going on, but we're also working on a film script, uh, which is, you know, for a film right. called fling for a film called fling theory. Um, and we're hoping to, you know, finish up that script and produce that film sometime in the near future. We're pretty committed to that, but, um, just wanted to add, throw that out there. And then the third point was that, and I don't know, this one's a little bit touchy, but I'll say it because you asked for the, the, uh, yeah. the yeah. advice or the, or the feedback. Yeah. I didn't like the, the, well, the guest that you all had on the podcast I listened to or the episode I listened to, he wasn't great. <laughs> he didn't break it. Who was it? And oh, oh, wait. I don't feel comfortable. Well, yeah, no, was we'll, Malik? No. <laughs> Malik doesn't take their calls. <laughs> Keep up the great banter. You guys have a great, um, great, great chemistry between each other. Very knowledgeable about sports. Hopefully uh, improve the sound quality, or like, the, you know, the sound equipment, and then get some great guests. I don't know. I, hopefully, Michael and I have done okay. <laughs> I think we're pretty subpar. <laughs> this has been enjoyable, though, because like this is I mean, honestly, though, this is what we're shooting for here is, you know, this sort of laid back interview style. This isn't supposed to be, you know, I mean, when we jumped in, we we're like, go grab a beer. Right. I mean, we're not it's not buttoned up. It's it's shirt untucked, you know, sleeves rolled up. You know, just kind <laughs> we're of shooting from the head. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We have a thing. You guys very, very similar to the two of us. You know, we like to play loose um, yes, as yeah. often as we can. Yeah. Like to have fun with whatever we're doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah we we go fast loose. So Quentin, I know you got <laughs> one, and keep that thing uh, stored. But I got one quick follow up. Give me a thirty second summary of this movie script because you've piqued my interest. Just give us a little. Oh, just give, give me a little taste. So I gotta say, Michael is Michael is uh, the leader on the movie script. I am kind of you know taking orders from him. Um, you know, making helping him make edits and like tossing ideas. So, Michael, you should be the one to talk yeah. about fling theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've been getting that all night. I've met my family, and they're like, "So, what are you? What, what are your plans?" I'm like, "You know, I got this watch, and then <laughs> when, <laughs> and once that really blows up, I think I'm gonna go to LA. I've been working on this movie script. They're like, "Who are you? Do we even know this guy anymore?" <laughs> I thought we sent you to a good school and you got a good degree. Like, <laughs> he's going to throw his cat in the hat. Yeah, yeah. He's going to go throw his life away with this, you know, pipe dream of a watch company. And now he's trying to write a film. No, it's it's been it's been a real treat writing it. Um, we're we're getting close to it being done, but it's just like a buddy buddy comedy. Um, you know, Eli and I were talking. We're actually, you know, we, I feel like we've probably said Hong Kong 50 times. We were sitting poolside having a couple beers. We're like, you know, we should, I mean, this, some of these experiences have been crazy. Like, we should, like, what's to say this couldn't be a movie? Um, we, so we kind of got to, like, talking. Like, what movies do you like? What movies do I like? You know, like, like throwing ideas. Like, Wedding Crashers. It was, you know, old school, Pineapple Express. Kind of that sort of genre where, you know, to... To, to all of our you know characters you know shirt unbuttoned uh, a beer in hand kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's loosely based around you know our own life stories uh, with some fabrications here and there um, but we're, we're, we're historical excited. fiction historical fiction there you go <laughs> uh, maybe the next two years or so we'll we'll hear about it but it's basically these two guys you know. The movie's called Fling Theory, so you can kind of interpret that as you will. But they kind of 
they kind of make a pact that you know a certain lifestyle is for them and they kind of go above and beyond to kind of formalize these rules amongst each other uh and so the rest of the movie's kind of kind of playing off of that all right before i get to my final question are you guys going to star in this movie absolutely (laughs) (laughs) give uh at least give us a shout out when this uh when this hits the screen and give make us like extras or something Course, you know what? Yeah. You know what we'll do. We came on to talk about Life Watch in the future. You know, hopefully you guys are still around, still doing this, having fun. We'll come back and we'll talk about Fling Theory. Okay. Hey. <laughs> only, only if we're getting extra spots, though. That's it's. <laughs> we can get you guys. Yeah, yeah. We can. We can <laughs> our our butt's pretty tight. You might just be a lead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah, t- you might find yourself with a lead role. <laughs> I'm like fucking C grade Jason Statham over here, but like fucking Rite Aid brand Jason Statham. But hey, I mean, yeah, we, we can do that. <laughs> so, like I said again, guys, thank you for taking the time to sit in section 312. But my last final question is, and Eli, you kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. We both went to high school with a very successful director now in Cole Bennett and you guys you actually just shot a commercial out in San Francisco can you elaborate and give us a little you know description what it was like shooting that commercial for the life watch and when can we expect that commercial to drop wow you know Quentin I feel so remiss you know I can't believe you know I told that whole story about life watch but one of the best parts of it was having the opportunity to work with Cole um, and filming that commercial, who is one of my closest friends uh, to this day and has been for years, uh, over a decade now. Um, so I am happy to tell you all about it. So unfortunately, Michael was not was unable to be a part of uh, the filming of the commercial. Uh, but he had, but uh, yeah, so. We filmed the commercial in Malibu and Calabasas, but I guess I'll I guess I'll start from the beginning because this is really good. So when so the summer about two years ago when I was first like you know coming up with the idea of Life Watch, I was talking with Cole about it. We, we had lunch you know one day in the city. I was like oh you know man I had this idea for this watch company that I want to try to make and like I was just talking about it, I was like cool cool yeah dude. I was like, you know, Cole, if, you know, if I go through and do this, you know, I would love for you to make the commercial for the company. And so, like, okay, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. And, um, you know, fast forward, time goes on, and we make, and that's Michael's grandfather there. <laughs> yeah. What a feature. I have heard a lot about Michael's grandfather. Um, he's one of Michael's greatest inspirations. Um and his life. I, I know at least that much. And uh, I know he's a great guy from what Michael says about him. So it's an honor to. Uh, he be says you're pretty good with the BS. And now I believe. That was the best part of the entire interview. I don't know what you're about to say, but I don't know if you'll be able to top that. So be the best shot you, you know, let me. <laughs> You can't come back. Let me, <laughs> let me compose myself. I'm going to try my best. Two years ago, I told Cole, you know, hey, I would love you to make the commercial. Fast forward, you know, the company ended up happening. You know, the watches came. It's a real thing. I reach out to Cole and say, hey, like, are you still willing to do this? He's like, dude, I would love to. And so 
you know, we flew, we actually filmed the commercial in, in LA. And so we flew down there. We spent the weekend together. It was actually uh, on set of one of Cole's music video shoots for a uh, rapper, very talented guy named Shorty Shorty. And the Life Watch is actually featured in that music video. Cole took um, full, basically, control in terms of, like, you know, the creative direction of the commercial and really did everything. And, um, and they did put together this extremely professional, very well done commercial. Um, and it, market value would have been tens of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And um, he did it for me as a favor, and uh, which I am like very thankful to uh, for today, like very, very much so. And that's a testament to how great of a guy Cole is. And, um, and then to answer your other question, the commercial will be on the Kickstarter page, which is going to go live tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. I would love for everyone to go and check out the uh, LifeWatch page and our Instagram and our website. Um, <clears throat> we put a lot of work into this over the past two years, and I am like beyond excited to finally share it with the rest of the world. Do you want to just plug your website and Instagram right here for us really quick? Absolutely, yeah. So you can go to find our website. is. Uh, wearelifewatch.com as in w-e-a-r and then you know life watch and our instagram is the same thing at wearelifewatch and uh yeah yeah all right guys well this has been really fun we i feel like we know a lot more about life watch no we know a lot more about you two and your struggles in china trying to communicate <laughs> so until next time, guys, thank you for sitting in section 312, and we'll talk to you guys soon. And we'll be, thank looking, you. And I, we'll be looking in the mail for our life watches to come. Yeah, keep, you'll get one. I want to say one more, one more thing. Uh, don't let me steal your thunder here, Quentin. Uh, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. I think what you and Drew are doing is really cool, um, and I hope it continues to grow. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be a part of it. Thank you, guys. Yeah, of course, guys. Thank you so much for uh, coming on, and yeah, be well. Cheers, brothers. Thanks, guys. All right, folks, and that interview with LifeWatch founder Eli Wallace and CSO Mike White was brought to you by our friends over at Thrive Fantasy. You guys have been hearing me talk about this for a couple of weeks now. We've now partnered up with a new D, uh, daily fantasy sports app for prop bets, Thrive Fantasy. These guys are doing something new. They're doing something funky. We really enjoy them. They have a great product out there. They've streamlined the drafting process and eliminated the need for you all to do the unnecessary hours of research because they only use the top-tier athletes, only the big boys, the big sharks. Instead of, the traditionally, uh, instead of the traditional salary cap format, you'll find another DFS apps. You can build your lineup around a list of prop bets. For each contest, you need to choose 10 of the 20 prop bets plus two ICE picks. These picks protect you from late scratches or postponed games. Each unique prop has an over-under point value assigned to it, and you will be rewarded that point value if your prop is correct. For example... Is Eloy going to hit another home run against his old team just to crush Quentin's heart? Will we find the United States women's team scoring another eight and a half goals over under? Will Matt Carpenter bunt for a double? Honestly, he's killing the switch, so it's probably the case. 
the less likely the prop is to occur, the more points the choice you pick will be worth, and you get to build your team around the amount of correct props you select. That's how the contest works. Go get some money and check out Thrive Fantasy. They're trying to pay you out. Pick the right picks. Enter our code SEC312. That's short for section in case you're uh, struggling to figure that out. SEC312. When you sign up to get an instant match on your first deposit up to $10. That's right. Thrive Fantasy is giving you $10 just to try out their product. They want you to play their game. They want you to win some money. Find them in the App Store. Check them out. Google Play, Apple Pro or Apple App Store, Thrive Fantasy. All right, folks. Quentin, it's segment time. And my personal favorite segment of the week. It holds true to me. These bald fucking beauties out there. It's the bald guy of the week. The BGOTW. I'm gonna give it to LeVar Ball this week. Oh and this no. Is slightly controversial one. Because there was a little bit of drama, but there's just so much to talk about with this. And I, we got to dig into it a little bit. He cursed the Lakers. They're cursed. It's like Lil Boosie. It's LeVar Ball. He cursed them. Lil John, Drake, LeVar Ball. Drake's, Drake's curse is over. So LeVar Ball's curse has begun. So LeVar's back in the news cycle, which we all know is actually all he cares about. He doesn't care if it's good press, bad press. He's just going for the, if I'm on ESPN, that's all that matters to me. He goes to ESPN Studios, and we're not going to call this a positive BGOW. Oh, wow, I'm going to struggle to say this, but I want to acronym it because acronyms are the fucking bomb. BGOTW. He kind of flirted slash hit on Molly Quirm, who's the like host and like guide of first take which was pretty bad Stephen A looked right at him like LeVar like LeVar no <laughs> like no I, in my head it was like the Michael Scott no no <laughs> like it was bad but you know the show must must go on so they just played it off. So yeah, no, I mean, I mean, props to Molly for handling that as well as she did. It was, it was very directly and obviously not a good thing. So we by no means are, are accrediting him for anything positive to do with that. But I think it's it's worth noting that the other big quote that we heard from this week is that Lonzo to the Pelicans was his plan all along, which is just an all time like like turning the situation on itself because I mean. Mr. Like, Lamar has been throughout history. All my sons are going to play for the Lakers. We're going to have the dynasty. The ball dynasty is going to be in L.A. Uh, Lonzo gets drafted to the Lakers. It seems like the match made in heaven. And he gets flipped to the Pelicans because LeBron said, fuck you, you're, you're out. I'm, I'm, I'm running this team now. You know, nobody wants to listen to him. Nobody wants to listen to LeVar. And LeVar, I think LeVar is right. I think if you draft all three of the Ball brothers, you're going to win a championship. The chemistry between those three, and I've been saying it for a long time now, LaMelo is going to be the best one of, out of all three. Well, and that's and that's a good that's a good segue because LaMelo then, of course, right? So LeVar visits the ESPN studio, hasn't been there in a while. They're on he's on first take and makes an ass of himself with Molly being a fucking douchebag. 
And then the jump comes on later in the afternoon, and LaMelo decides to come on and says, oh, by the way, I'm going to play in Australia. Haha, ha, what do you know? Me and LaVar visited, and we just have big news to drop to keep ESPN coming back to us and eating out of the palm of our hand and to add to their Facebook series. Fun fact is he grew seven inches or so in the last year, so you think LaVar uh, has been sticking him with that needle a little bit? I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, again, 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 seven it's inches just, in one year, I'm yeah. not saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. For the next segment, Matt, we got Matt's Mind Enhancers. What do you got for us this week, Matt? This week's Mind Enhancer from Matt is another word. It's Victory. You fucking asshole. Just, just, just go Vic- read the definition. Victory is when one successfully completes a task or wins a goal or challenge. For example... <laughs> I see what you did there. 2019 St. Louis Blues. Coming from last place in January to winning the whole freaking thing with the very emotional... Jordan Bennington blocking everything like a wall and everybody just freaking everybody just would, uh, victory go blues it was sweet victory I would say it's sweet victory sweet. it was in fact it was glorious sweet 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 victory yeah, yeah. Now, before we get into the ad read, Matt, I think we need some karaoke of Gloria from you. Give it to us. I'm not much of a singer on the podcast. You can, you can, you can, you can go ahead. It's your song. I don't even know how it goes. I actually don't know anything about Gloria. It's just something like Gloria. Um, don't worry, I'll, I'll pull it up. Uh-huh, 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 Gloria, how's it going down? Will you meet him on the main line, or will you catch him on the roundabout? It's rebound. Whoops. It really is rebound. <laughs> All right, folks, I'm going to take it down real smooth for y'all on this uh, beautiful ad read for our friends over at Karaoke Adventure. Y'all ever want to get down to Barry White? You ever feeling funky with your lady? How Maybe about a little bit of Laura Branigan. How about you bring Karaoke Adventure in with you? Karaoke Adventure provides DJ and karaoke for any of your singing occasions. You want to serenade your baby? Bring over Karaoke Adventure. It's okay. They'll stay in the background. They won't look. Birthday parties, family gatherings, black parties... Or a night of friends. <laughs> Karaoke Adventure brings everything to you. <laughs> they got the PA, the mics, the TV, the lighting. You can sing Gloria and get drunk with your blues friends. Although, for Chicago Sports Podcast, we are starchly against that. But hey, if that's the way you roll, we're not going to judge you. Everything you need for a singing good time. These dudes got their over 30 years experience. Eric St. Michael's is running the show. He's killing it. He's got everything again that you could ever need for a good karaoke. Don't ditch the shitty 70s karaoke system that you have. Let them bring everything to you. 
Call him today to book an appointment. 773-732-6597. Serving the Chicagoland area. Follow him on Facebook. See their videos and a lot more. Karaoke Adventure. Facebook.com. Guys, we really need to do a video for them. Just like of us. You know, maybe we'll do Gloria. Maybe, hey, Matt, would you be cool if Quentin and I just skip buying tickets for you for this game and just sing Gloria instead on Karaoke Adventure? Um, I feel like you need to do the uh, ticket thing and sing Gloria. Because uh, right. singing uh, Gloria is free. I still want those tickets. <laughs> that's, you know, that, that, that's fair enough. I'll, I'll give it to you. Okay, check out our friends over at Karaoke Adventure on Facebook. They got it all of you, everyone, and, uh, for all your karaoke needs. Check them out today, guys. Quentin, it's time. It's the final countdown, one could say. It's the final countdown. Starting That was good. good. All right, yes, it is time for the starting five, and it is our last starting five. And let me explain why. The the starting five is generally assembled because of the basketball, NBA, college basketball season, meaning starting five of your players to start the game. So this will be our last starting five until next NBA college basketball season. In honorary of Father's Day, we decided to do starting five fictional father figures. Now, everybody knows the rules. I'm going to pick a number between one and ten. I got my number. Andrew, you can decide first. Give me number nine. Matt? In celebration of the Blues' first Stanley Cup, I will pick number one. My number was number two. I will be number two. Okay. Now, Andrew, you're on a two-toss losing streak. No, I won last week. No, you did not. Whatever. Just give me heads. Flip a coin. It's tails. That's three. That's three in a row. I want number one. I think series working against me, but okay. I want number one. Starting five fictional father figures. Right out of the gate, I'm taking Jason Styles from Boys in the Hood, Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't think that was on either of our lists, so so yeah. Oh, cool. Good number one pick. <laughs> You really got someone in high demand there. You're going to lose like a lot of people, but hey, that's cool. <laughs> for, uh, for, for my first pick, I will, uh, for the second overall pick, for my first pick, I will, I will choose Phil Banks, God. also known as Uncle Phil. Oh, God. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think that was a clear, I, I don't know why you didn't go with Uncle Phil for number one, but yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Of course, Uncle Phil has to go. In I mean, he's the top prospect point. out there. Yeah, oh, 100%. He's yeah. the Zion Williamson of the of this starting five. Mm-hmm. 100%. Great pick. Beautiful pick. Okay. Um. So I got back-to-backs here. So let's see. In the first round, we're going to take it real back to uh, late 90s, early 2000s, back when TV was at its most wholesome and we're going to go with Danny Tanner from Full House, Bob Saget. Yep. Um, I just, saw that one coming. 
dude, dude was uh like doing all dad. Just he had two people living in his house that weren't even his kids and like their families, like Joey and Uncle Jesse. He just let him in. He was making bank, obviously, on the side. No one knows about that. He was living in San Francisco in a nice ass place. So he obviously was like doing well. Like you obviously want Danny Tanner as your dad. Um, number two, I'll take. There's a lot of people here, but I'm gonna go with Red Foreman from that '70s show. And I'm just wreck. I'm just knocking Matt's guys out one by one here because Red Foreman, he would be the dad that like I wouldn't choose to necessarily want but like i feel like would set me straight on the right path like he he would guide me and like by the way no one ever acknowledges this right but like they were smoking weed in his basement he knew he was cool with it he was like you know what that's cool he's like don't you know just don't get in trouble don't get caught with the police so obviously red foreman and danny tanner would make two really great dads so i'm gonna go with those two good thing i have more than five on my list um this was a long one that's really good um, for my second pick, I would have to say, um, Tim, the tool man, Taylor, another nineties, uh, TV show, dad, he can, he can fix up your stuff. He's hilarious. And he has good advice. You can't go wrong. Is that the guy from home improvement? That's right. Tim Allen off home improvement. I can't remember the rest of the lyrics from that Mac song, but yeah. Yeah, no. Um, that is an awesome pick. I Tim the Tool and Taylor. Yeah, he he he'd be the kind of dad that like it also like when you got in your twenties, you'd be like, yeah, let's have a, let's go have a couple beers, and like by a couple beers, I mean like let's go pass out at the bar, but like we won't tell your mom. Like he he'd be like a cool dad too. Like once you got older, I I definitely could. Yeah, yeah. Big. He has a cool ass neighbor too. Like <laughs> Wilson, I fuck with yeah. Wilson. <laughs> I almost picked Wilson as one of my dads as well. So. For my second pick in the fictional father figures, he doesn't know what you want. He doesn't know what you look like. But he will find you. And he will kill you. Yeah. I'm going with Brian Mills, Liam Neeson, and Taken. Yep, that's that's another good one. That was on my list. And I'm going to stick in the same realm. For my third father figure, a dad that will do anything to find their child, I'm taking Marlin from Finding Nemo, swims across ocean, escapes a shark, gets swallowed by a whale, Marlin. That is a damn good pick. You're really into protecting father figures, aren't you? All right. Well, my third pick, um, I will go with Bo Bennett from uh, The Ranch on Netflix. Okay, that's with Ashton Kutcher. I don't know who who plays Bo Bennett. Though. Sam Elliott. Okay. 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 For sure. Like just the mass, just the mustache itself. Makes yeah, the no, list. Oh, oh, yeah, but, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, there, it's not. He's not a dad if he doesn't have a sick mustache. I'm, I'm, I'm on that bandwagon completely. Right, exactly. He's a hard worker, and he, he like expects the best of you, and he tries to help you out. All right. Well, boys, we're. I think we're all knocking each other's lists out a little bit here. 
but I want to I want to make sure I pick some uh some people. I I got to pick the people who I know could be gone by the end of next round. So the first one I'm gonna go with. Hmm, I have three, and I'm trying to pick the two here. I'm gonna go with Sonny Koufax as my number three. Adam Sandler from Big Daddy. He'd be the cool dad, right? Like, you know, he's like, hey, you want to eat ketchup? I don't give a fuck. Just go eat some ketchup. And I'd be like, cool, I'm going to do that. I don't know how it would turn out for the rest of my life, but as a little kid, it'd be pretty damn cool to have Sonny Koufax as my dad. So Adam Sandler, Sonny Koufax. And let's go with Hank Hill from King of the Hill. He'd give me some life advice. I'd learn all about propane I'd know how to change a propane tank on a grill, which I can't do right now, like a pro. So I'd get all the life advice I need from these people. For number four, I will have to uh, want to go with Tim Allen again. I'm going to uh, pick Mike Baxter from Last Man Standing on NBC. He is hilarious. We share the same views and more advice and all that, you know, typical good dad stuff. I feel like he'd be a good dad joke dad. I feel like he'd like crack a lot of like jokes that I'd be like, these are terrible, but I love you for how terrible these jokes are. Kind oh yeah, it's it's all over the place. It's all, great. <laughs> like fall asleep with beer in hand on the couch. I'd be I'd, yeah, I'm I'm all about it. Okay, Quentin, you got back to back. So these are your last two. So I do have back to back, and I'm gonna hit a couple back to back out of the park here. For my number four, I'm taking Frank Reynolds from Always Sunny. It's the dad that not everybody wants, but I feel like it's the dad everybody needs. The just reckless, do whatever you want, take my money, I don't care type father figure. He's not going to give you a lot of good life. Well, he may give you a lot of good life lessons I want not to do, but Frank Reynolds would be my number four. Do you actually, but like, do you think he'd be a good dad? He left his kids for like 20 years. Yeah, but they're doing fine. Well, I mean, they own a bar, right? Yeah, and they're drunks, but hey, you know, more power to you. So Frank Reynolds would be my number four. And my number five would be a guy that would do anything for his family and for his future. Walter White. No. I'm taking Walter White. That's a horrible pick. I'm taking Walter White because the man knew he was going to die and did everything he possibly could to set his family up so they didn't have to work for the rest of their lives. You got some fucked up views on father figures there, Chief. <laughs> As I rip a jewel. Sorry, Dad. For my fifth and final pick... You're not a good dad unless you are a good provider. And one of the best providers out there is Archie Bunker. Do what you can for your family. Show. What show? Uh, Archie. Archie. I'm unaware, but I'm going to take your word for it. Because Archie Bunker sounds like the kind of name of a man. I'll double check myself. Oh, I, I believe you. I wholeheartedly believe you. Is this you. like some old shit like MASH? Are you are you watching these old fucking black and white cartoons? These black and white television shows? Bro, you ever see like MASH? I was, I was flipping channels one day and I came across the show. 
Dude, my sister's binge watching Mash right now. Dude, like, Mash is. What's the old person channel that Mash is always on? Oh, it's this. The show is called All in the Family. Okay. Yeah. They make a lot of porns based on that name. Quentin. What? <laughs> Nobody knew what was going on in the 70s, okay? Well, they knew what was going on. It was just a lot more concealed. But, Quentin, what, what were you saying? What's, what's the channel that I'm thinking of? MeTV was the name yeah, of the television show. Yes, that's yes. Okay, thank you for uh, keeping my brain safe. Okay, to round it out, close to my heart, a hero that most people have actually thought of. He only made a one season uh, stint because he was unfortunately murdered. Adard slash Ned. Don't get why that's connected. Stark from Game of Thrones. Let all his kids, all of his kids go on to be successful. Ned Stark, the man, the myth, the legend, the best dude, wholesome Ned Stark has to be a father figure, even in medieval times. What about your bench players, guys? You got any bench players? Oh, I have a couple. I'm just going to rattle them off, though. Hugh Neutron. I think it's Hugh. Yeah, Hugh. That was a good one. He was on my list. Rocky Balboa. Oh, that would have been a good one, too. Hey, you know, no good ring. Hey, he's making the guys. He he bought a robot for his kid. He he's, he had hella money. He'd be a good dad. Polly. What? <laughs> Polly. Hello, Polly. Happy, no, it's happy birthday, Polly. Happy birthday, Polly. <laughs> um, Bob Belcher from Bob's Burgers. Bernie Mac from the Bernie Mac Show. Oh, that would have been a good one. Bill Cosby, even though it's slightly controversial now, I didn't want to put him in my main starting five, but like before that, he was like a, a good dad, Cliff Huxtable. And yeah, that's it, because I also had uh, Marlon from Finding Nemo on here. Matt, you got bench players? Uh, Marlon's on your team, man. I can't say his name now. <laughs> Universal hero. I had two leftover bench players. Clark Griswold from National Lampoons. And my second bench player would be Vernon Dursley, the Andy Reid-looking motherfucker from Harry Potter that fosters Harry. Why? Literally, why? He was a terrible father figure. Not to the fat, not to the fat kid. He was a great. He was. <laughs> he was a great father to that kid. He just didn't like Harry because Harry was a. Was a half blood. You're right. Not not to not to the fat kid. Not yeah. Not to his legitimate child. They had a blast. I bet they went fishing and did shit like that. He took him on like yeah. He took him on nice father son. He taught him how to tie knots and like set up a tent. But that dude does look like Andy Reid. Lots of heavy lots of heavy breathing in that tent. So it's sad. It's a sad time. That's that's our last starting five for a you know while. What? From every uh, what is it like? Every burning tree or like every every dying kind of like thing causes new life. So like it's the cycle of life here on the podcast. We felt that you know a the starting five was not fitting anymore. B we need to kind of like revamp things. You know you need to spice things up a little bit. So you know we're we're gonna be dishing out new segments. We're gonna have some new stuff for everybody out there. We want to uh, we want, we want, we got to flex our muscles, our creative brains a little bit here, like kind of show off for y'all. Although we will be keeping Matt's 
moment of wisdom or whatever the fuck we're calling it at this point. It changes every week. Yeah, well, well you know, we'll, we'll Matt's up. mystery. Matt's mystery mind, because um, alliteration is key. But yeah, we'll, you know, we're gonna be coming out with new segments. It's a new time of year. We got to come out with some new stuff. We got we're in the dog days of summer. Got to keep things entertaining. Gonna try to keep them sports focused. But you know, we we like the starting five. It was time to kind of be creative, have some fun with stuff, and you know, we we blatantly enjoy it. So, and a lot of people did too that we got feedback from. So we're gonna be coming out with something even bigger and better than this. So keep the keep your eyes out for it. We're gonna be reaching out kind of with some new stuff and. Yeah, man, it's a sad time, right? Like it was. This was our first baby that really uh, worked out well. So it was. It was a. It was a good start, and we gotta put the starting five in the closet, and then we're gonna pull it out like that old cum sock once you you and your girlfriend break up, and it will be back in better than ever back next NBA season. <laughs> so that's our show for this week, guys. Go follow us at O Section Three One Two on Twitter, where we just broke two thousand followers. Go follow us on Facebook, Section 312 Official, Instagram, Official Section 312. Go check out our networks page, MWSN.net. We are an affiliate of the Midwest Sports Network. Go follow them. Check them out where you can find all of our podcasts and plenty more podcasts on their podcast archive page. Or go to Section312.com. Yes, our website has launched. We have merchandise available, hats, hoodies, T-shirts for men, women, phone cases, bags. Go check them out. I don't know if they're still on sale. We had them for 15% off. But things have been flying off the shelves. Go get yours while you can. And tune in next week as Rico Diamante, DJ Rev Boogie, sits in Section 312 all the way from Maryland. You don't want to miss that. That's a fun interview with him. Until next time, 100%. Go Blues. Go Blues. Play Gloria. We got the cup. Bye, guys.